Hey, Jordan, have you heard a lot of people talking about stocks lately? Ugh, yes. Stop it with the stocks already. (laughs) Yeah, uh, me too. And it's all thanks to an American company that I don't know if you have out there called GameStop. Okay, so I'd heard a little bit about this and I've been trying to avoid it. But like the thing I think is funny about GameStop is um, my friend Alex Hearn, who is the tech editor at The Guardian, tweeting that uh, for English people uh, who maybe had an image of what GameStop was like, it isn't what we might think. Because we have video game retail stores over here. We have um, Game, famously, is our one. Um, They used to own GameStation as well, where I actually used to work. Um, and apparently GameStop is not like that. He he characterized it as like one shelf of games and then floor to ceiling uh, Funko Pop figurines. I mean, these days, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess, yeah, I mean, because this whole thing is because people feel fondly about the store, right? And that it would be otherwise in trouble, like most stores are right now. Well, that's the funny thing. People don't particularly feel fondly about GameStop. Alex's Funko Pop comment it's kind of like a sign of like how cynical the company has kind of become, right? Like, you know, ostensibly they're to sell games, but, you know, they are not having the best time of it. So they're selling trinkets instead. <laughs> and uh, in a lot of ways, GameStop should be out of business. And for most of the last year, it was kind of going that way. Hundreds of stores were closing. A new CEO was brainstorming new ideas to keep the business afloat. And then something weird happened people online started to notice that people were betting on GameStop to fail and that they could win a lot of money if they made the opposite bet altogether. And then it worked. People got rich and the entire financial world was turned upside down. Everyone's talking about GameStop stock because... This is actually a big moment in the history of the stock market. So today on Wild Wild Tech, how GameStop brought the stock market to a screeching halt. Welcome back to Wild Wild Tech. Each week, we're bringing you the tech stories that you absolutely cannot miss. Like this, the first time anyone I know has talked about the stock market. Same. This is kind of a a once in a lifetime moment, the sort of thing that's going to be taught in schools one day, I think. But it's also very dense with a lot of angles, right? So in order to help explain what's happening, we brought on Matthew Galt and Jason Kebler from Vice's Motherboard, one of the first tech sites to notice that something was amiss here. Here is Matthew Galt. Everyone's talking about GameStop stock because, very, very simply and succinctly, a group of people organizing mostly on Reddit are using um, new apps that have come around in the last few years to do day trading. And they've become such an organized force that they were able to look at the GameStop stock, uh, realize that if they all invested in it, they could drive the price up and make a bunch of money. And hedge funds are angry and pushing back on that. And very, very succinctly and simply, that's kind of what's going on broadly. That's Matthew Galt. He's going to give us the clearest explanation of the whole story I've yet heard. But first, we should probably quickly summarize what stocks even are, just so we're all working from the same starting place. 
Yeah, so um, every Sunday, uh, someone comes to your village uh, with turnips <laughs> and um, you buy them and then you sell them, but you can't sell them again on the same day. You have to sell them on a, on a different day. But if you wait more than a week, then they go off. Um, so you have to check the prices every morning and afternoon and uh, basically pick one that, that makes money for you and don't hold out too long waiting for that big sell because you might not get it and you might lose everything. Uh, is that pretty much it? <laughs> So real ones will probably recognize that that is the stock market from Animal Crossing. Our third episode was that? <laughs> yeah, refer to earlier episodes of Wild yeah. Wild Tech. <laughs> um, the principle is kind of the same, but but st- stocks proper are are what are called shares of a company. So if a company is what's called publicly owned, they will carve up a portion of the ownership of that company, right? They will issue those parts as shares. So if you buy a share of a company like GameStop, you own one, if there are say like a million shares and you bought one, you own one one millionth of GameStop and you are entitled to all the rights and privileges therein, which really isn't many thing. It just means that you have uh, a little bit of the company's net worth And as the company's entire worth goes up, so will the individual stocks. But there are ways that you can cheat or game the system to make money outside of what's known as smart investing, which takes an interesting turn in 2019. We'll back everything up to the summer of 2019, which is like the inflection point for this, like when when this GameStop thing really started. So there's a gentleman named Keith Gill. He worked at the uh, the at the marketing department at the Massachusetts Mutual Life Insurance Company. On Reddit, he's known as Deep Fucking Value, and he also has a YouTube channel called Roaring Kitty. So in the summer of 2019, he also plays the stock market. In the summer of 2019, Gill starts talking about investing in GameStop. He noticed that a bunch of hedge funds had taken out shorts on GameStop. Okay, there's a bunch of words that I feel like I should understand there and don't entirely, um, like hedge fund and also shorting. Okay. So the whole business model of a hedge fund is they go to people that are, you know, wealthy enough to invest significant sums of money and say, don't worry about investing. We'll do it for you. Just trust us with your money. We have these portfolio of investments and uh, we will all make money together. That's basically what hedge funds do. They sort of like trustees of wealth responsible for making more wealth. That's probably why I've never heard of them because I don't have any. Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> so uh, hedge funds, you know, like you said, they're not really well thought of by people who don't have a lot of money. You know, <laughs> hedge funds are sort of uh, responsible for not great things. What was the other word? Shorting. Shorting a stock is like making a promise to buy a stock in the future. So you say the stock is at 20 bucks and a hedge fund shorts it. What they're doing is they are promising to buy that stock at a future date, no matter what price changes happen to it later. Now, they do this constantly and in large numbers, and when the stock goes down, they make a shitload of money. So if they've paid 20 bucks for the stock and the stock tanks, they can make millions and millions of dollars this way. But if the stock goes up, they have to pay off the difference, and they could lose incredible amounts of money. So that's a super simple version of like how shorting works. So why do people agree to do it? Basically, because there is always going to be losers in the market. Yeah, this is my problem with the stock market. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And it's a way to make money off of those losers. And uh, like you said, when most people hear about it for the first time, they don't feel great about it. They kind of consider it cheating. 
So how much money are people losing then when you short a stock and the price goes up? In this case, billions. GameStop had been shorted to the tune of 144% of the actual stock that it had, meaning that hedge funds and other financial movers and shakers had shorted GameStop more than GameStop was actually worth. This and the fact that GameStop kind of sucks had driven GameStop's uh, stock price into the toilet. It was low. It was bottoming out around four and five bucks when Gil got involved and started buying up the stock. Right. And we should note, by the way, that we reached out to Keith Gill, but we didn't hear back. Eventually, this whole group at this at this subreddit, Wall Street Bets, started to get behind him. And a couple weeks ago, thousands of people started buying into this GameStop stock and it drives the price up. So you have this stock that was like a $4 loser that's attached to a company that is dying. GameStop's dying. It closed several hundred stores in 2020 during the pandemic. Uh, so yeah, actually, this is something that I know a bit about because I worked in video game retail here in the UK. I worked at uh, GameStation. I have intimate personal knowledge of that business model and also why it's failing. Yeah. And we should note that this wasn't something exclusively happening to GameStop stock, right? There are a lot of companies that are struggling right now, um, but it was far and away the most explosive. It involves multiple different hedge funds. It involves people being organized on places other than just Reddit. Uh, there was a Discord server. There are multiple Facebook groups. And it involves stocks other than GameStop. Bed Bath & Beyond is affected. Nokia is affected. The liquidated stock of BlackBerry is affected. AMC is affected. But essentially what's happening is um, that we live in a world where the stock market feels untethered from the reality of what's going on around us. I mean... Is it news that a small percentage of people, mostly in the United States, uh, have so much control over everybody else's lives? It very much feels like, you know, this relatively small number of people have a disproportionate effect on what we consider important, right? And that's kind of what makes this story so appealing. The American money people, the hedge funds, were very publicly losing during the pandemic, the top 20 hedge funds had their most profitable year in 20 years. These top 20 hedge funds made billions and billions of dollars. And at the same time, millions of people all over the world lost their jobs, got sick, died. And so I think one of the reasons we're focused on this story right now is because <laughs> you are watching a group of people band together and fight against these hedge funds. So one thing you might be familiar with, Jordan, is that this isn't that different from any other campaign organized on social media. Usually they are toxic ones. No. <laughs> but like motive is generally ascribed after. It's usually just people messing around and a certain type of person messing around on the internet. And then a story comes afterwards after they've made a mess, right? Yeah, definitely. I mean, social media often feels like some kind of like augmented reality game, right? Like mm -hmm. people just messing around and having fun and seeing how far they can push things. Like conspiracy theories strike me as this this kind of behavior and just people grouping together and being like, I wonder how far we could push the idea that the earth is flat. Let's try it. It'll be fun. Um, and then afterwards you get people coming along and going, oh yeah, you know, people are doing that because we've lost faith in our scientific establishment. And it's like, no, people just wanted to have a lark and see how far they could push things from the safety of behind a screen, you know? Right. No, that's an extremely apt reference. So what's making all of this possible? And that is an app. 
called Robin Hood that came out about five years ago. And Robin Hood, by its very existence, allowed this to happen uh, because Robin Hood advertises itself as a f- way to do commission-free trading. So normally, if you're a day trader, you're a retail investor, is what they call just like basically normies that want to get involved in the stock market. When they say normies, do they mean like like us? Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, although normies with, you know, disposable income, right? Oh, so not us. (laughs) (laughs) Basically, if like, if you somehow came across like a thousand spare dollars or or something like that, or a hundred dollars or what have you, you are and you want to invest in the stock market, you are then a retail investor. You're just, you're not an investor by profession. You're not working for or with a bank. You're just someone with some money to invest. Normally you go through like, you know, investment banks. Robinhood's appeal is that, you know, like Venmo or any other service, it's just an app. You don't have to deal with anybody. If you're a retail trader and you want to, you know, you want to do business on the stock market, you're going to have to deal with Ameritrade or E-Trade or Vanguard, some of these other more kind of typical firms. And those firms are going to take a commission on whatever you buy. Well, Robinhood said, okay, well, we're going to do it for free. We're going to democratize the market. We're going to let normal people trade. We're going to unleash them onto the market. We're going to see what happens. Well, because then there is no barrier to entry for normal people to get in this, it's just the cost of whatever stock they're trying to buy. That allows this giant influx of new traders into the market, which is part of what fueled this rise of GameStop. I love the idea of unleashing normal people onto the market. Uh, Nothing bad could happen, right? Yeah, no, that's actually a pretty good skepticism to have, I think. And Matthew explains why. And we should all be aware of this in 2021, uh, when we really think about the technology we use. If you're using something for free, like Facebook or like Twitter or like Robinhood, then you are the product. You yourself are the product. And that's true of Robinhood because Robinhood makes its money by basically tattling to hedge funds about the moves that all of its retail traders are doing. So, and Robinhood has large investments from hedge funds or or, or financial uh, investment firms like Citadel, who have large stakes in GameStop, have large short positions in GameStop. Yeah, see, I was waiting for the butt. And here's the butt. (laughs) Yes. When we get back, We'll talk about how huge this GameStop story has become. There have been groups outside of Reddit involved, and some of which have been shut down. Robinhood has also become a key player in all this and is under a lot of scrutiny. We'll talk about all that, and we'll get to hear from Jason Kebler, who actually invested in GME stock. Stay tuned. Welcome back to Wild Wild Tech, a show about getting rich in a sensible way. When we left, we were discussing Robinhood, an app that lets you invest in a stock market without having to pay a commission to a bank or investment firm. We're going to be talking a little bit more about how easy it is to use, why it could be in trouble now, and how it factors in to this whole GameStop craze that you probably have heard about. So we start with, why is Robinhood in trouble? And Matthew Galt, the reporter advice's motherboard that we've been talking to tells us a little bit about why. Robin Hood comes out and says, hey, you know what? We're not going to let you guys buy any more GameStop or AMC stock. They said, due to market vulnerability and volatility, you're not allowed to buy any more of this stuff. And this obviously enrages 
everybody that had been purchasing at this point. But why, right? Like, why does Robinhood need to protect the, you know, investors and hedge funds and whatever by screwing over the so-called normies who are supposedly their client base? So what happens here is that that's what it looks like, right? But the reality is probably a lot more boring, which is the fact that like Robinhood operates in a certain legal area where it can only move so much money before the SEC takes notice and says it's in violation of, you know, the legal space that it's allowed to operate in. So with the stock going this out of control and this much money being traded, it has quickly expanded beyond the realm for which Robinhood is legally allowed to act. Oh, so Robinhood was just protecting itself. Right. And so further complicating this is that more people are noticing and getting involved. Facebook has shut down some groups talking about GME stock, and there have also been discords shut down because they've been peddling in hate speech, anti-Semitic and otherwise. And uh, that's something that, you know, to the outside observer, unless you're in these communities, you might not necessarily see or realize. So it's easy to spin like a conspiracy theory. And that's thinking that's only sort of like exacerbated when the government gets involved, which it does. When Robinhood decided to halt the trading of certain stocks, that's when politicians started to take notice. So almost uh, immediately after that, and it's kind of it's kind of been interesting because it's pretty bipartisan. Well, you know, we are talking about money here. And if there's something that all politicians care about, it's money. And, you know, what's making this messier is this narrative that Robinhood is empowering people who normally wouldn't be able to trade or take part in the market. So to talk about this a little bit, I went to Jason Kebler. Hi, I'm uh, Jason Kebler. I'm the editor-in-chief of Motherboard over at Vice. Jason tells us a little bit about how Robinhood works and how easy it is to use. Robinhood is like the gamification of the stock market. Um, It's an app. It's what people on Wall Street Bets use because it has no commission, um, which means that you don't have to pay every time you make a trade, which you do with some brokers. And it's also very fast. It's it's an app. It's like, you know, it's very quick. It's flashy. It's a well-designed app. I did download Robinhood when all of this stuff was going down and I had an account and was able to buy a stock within like four minutes. Like it's really, really fast. Like you just log into Robinhood, you give them your name and address, your email address, you uh, give them your bank account information, and it's like instant. You're able to immediately trade stocks. And it's it's a pretty, I mean, I'm not an expert in user interface either, but it's like you swipe to buy the stock, you know, like you swipe up, you type a ticker, you swipe up and you, you have a stock. And so it's like really fast and it, it's gotten a lot of people into a lot of trouble because it's so easy to use. Yeah, it sounds kind of like gambling almost. Yeah, it definitely encourages that mindset while being arguably exploitative in its own ways. You basically use Robinhood to buy a stock, but then Robinhood goes to a third party. In this case, it's a company called Citadel, which has made a lot of people really mad in the last few days because Citadel is also one of the hedge funds that had massively shorted GameStop. And so there was like this conflict of interest, uh, either perceived or real, that Robinhood was helping Citadel and and not its users. But basically, Citadel then pays Robinhood to execute that trade. And in doing so, Citadel is able to tell what Robinhood's users are doing in mass. 
So they're able to then get information about what a bunch of people are doing on the stock market. And then because they are also investors themselves, they're able to make decisions about what companies they're going to buy and sell. And so Robinhood is essentially like a surveillance platform um, for, for all these people. Yeah, I mean, I guess for a lot of these people, it kind of felt like a betrayal, right? Right, yeah. Like, I think it's very astute that Jason calls it a surveillance platform because when it comes down to it, it's the same fundamental betrayal that every app on your phone is making, which is telling big companies everything you do on it. But it only really works if you're able to, like, not draw attention to that too much. And when money's involved... And, and big companies are making more money off of your actions than you are, then uh, it's really hard to ignore. And there are some ways in which Robinhood works that are particularly exploitative. Robinhood is basically giving out loans to its users so that they will trade more, so that their hedge funds partners have more information about their users and what happened with GameStop is like so many people were doing this. Robinhood didn't have enough money to cover the loans that it normally gives out all the time. And it was in danger of falling out of SEC compliance. And when that happens, that's like super illegal and bad. And so it shut down trading, which made everyone super furious because when they shut down trading, the only thing that people could do was sell. And when a bunch of people sell stock, the price goes down. And so people have been very, very furious at Robinhood. And I don't know how this shakes out, but like, I don't see a scenario where Robin Hood like survives this. I mean, people are really mad at it. And I think for good reason, because it costs a lot of people a lot of money with no warning. Oh, wow. So this is going to have repercussions beyond just the, the people actually buying shares. Yeah, that's one of the tricky things about the story. It's hard to know where the the repercussions begin and end, right? It's sort of like, you know, will GameStop survive? Will Robinhood survive? Will this kind of easy investing stick around? Will it be more regulated? What kind of regulations will be imposed on the wider market? Who knows? I just know that in America, under capitalism, the people who pay the most are, the, are usually not the ones responsible. <laughs> So how deep did Jason get into this then? Like, did he buy any GameStop stock himself? That is a good question, which we will answer when we get back. We will also dive deeper into the subreddit Wall Street Bets. What is Wall Street Bets? What are the bets they're making? And how are they actually affecting Wall Street? More Wild Wild Tech when we get back. All right, Jordan, when we left off, you were wondering if Jason had bought GME stock, right? Yes, and I am dying to know if he got into all this. Well, I bought some GameStop stock like 10 days ago and um, I bought 14 shares. So I didn't do it because I was like, hey, I, I'm going to become rich. I did it because I was like, huh, like this is kind of crazy. And like also this, the post I'm reading makes sense. And also I want to hold myself accountable, like, to keep coming back and like checking the price and seeing if these things are happening because it might be interesting. And then suddenly like those 14 shares were worth like $5,000 at some point. Did he sell? <laughs> he doesn't really know what he's going to do. <laughs> did he, did Jason become a Wall Street bets guy? Like, is he hanging out on the Reddit now? That's the one thing we've kind of been talking around. The center of like the storm is this subreddit called Wall Street Bets. It's a, you know, for people who don't go to reddit.com, it's, it's a website 
of smaller websites <laughs> that are kind of like, you know, just web forums for people to post and share things. Generally doesn't have the best reputation on the internet, but it's, uh, it's where things happen for better or for worse. So yeah, people who aren't online all that much might not understand the culture of this kind of scene. It's sort of a subculture all unto itself. And I asked Jason to tell us what it's like there on Wall Street Bets. So Wall Street Bets call themselves uh, 4chan, but with a Bloomberg terminal. And a Bloomberg terminal is, it's a piece of hardware and or software that stock traders use um, that gives them information about what's happening on the stock market. And basically every major financial firm has Bloomberg terminal. It's a really, it's a huge part of Bloomberg's business. It's it's a really expensive subscription every year. And, and they're saying it's 4chan, but with a Bloomberg terminal. And so it's like the obsessiveness of 4chan. It's some of the culture of 4chan, um, 4chan being the anonymous internet message board that has birthed all sorts of things over the years. A lot of toxicity, a lot of memes, a lot of has intersected with the news cycle many times over the last decade or so. But it is a place where people talk about stocks that they're buying and why they're buying them, uh, usually cloaked in several layers of irony. Ugh. Just sounds like a shit sandwich, doesn't it? <laughs> it's like two of the worst things smushed together. Yes. Yikes. Yeah. It's just like any unmoderated online forum with all the problems that come with that. So I think it's important to talk about the types of bets that Wall Street Bets gets involved in. So I asked Jason a little bit about that. In the personal finance world, experts say it's very dangerous to invest in single stocks. Like you should buy index funds, which are, you know, they're basically, they mirror the entire economy and mirror the entire stock market or sector of it. And so, and then you should wait and hope for like 8% gains or like these, these small gains over the course of many, many years. And then you might be able to retire when you're old. Um, Wall Street Bets is not like that. <laughs> these people are buying and selling stocks multiple times a day, hoping for massive gains. If things are too stable, they get very impatient and, and move on to something that is less stable. And so GameStop has been super volatile for many weeks. And so people were like, I think I can make a lot of money on GameStop because it's going up and down like crazy. It sounds like kind of like, like we were saying earlier, like it's all a game, right? Like they want something that is exciting and is going up and down. And like, maybe, I mean, they obviously are in it to make money, but that kind of seems almost secondary to the, like the rush of playing the game. Right. Yeah. And this is something that, you know, people who are familiar with communities on Reddit, you know, would recognize, right? Like uh, there isn't a system that communities on Reddit will not try and game, you know, that won't try and exploit. It's incredible. You see it, you know, in like video games all the time, just like people will push a game to its limits and, and try and break them and figure out what it can and can't do. And so this community decided to do that with stocks. The people on Wall Street Bets are not flawless. They are toxic in many ways, uh, but they are exposing a very real problem in America, which is financial elitist class uh, getting extremely rich by using the stock market as a slot machine and at the expense of normal everyday workers, many of whom are, are out of jobs because of a deadly pandemic. And so, I mean... I think it's good that this is happening uh, in some ways. And at the same time, I think a lot of the people on Wall Street Bets are probably shitheads. And I think it's important to point out that like a lot of, I mean, a lot of their posts, almost all of their posts scan as like 
white, cisgender, male, privileged. You know, they make a lot of jokes about autistic people and things like this. That's not good. No, (laughs) it's definitely it's definitely not good. And like this is something that applies to a lot of complicated stories, but especially this one. There aren't really any heroes here. Some good can come of it. And, you know, there are stories of people who's, you know, had their fortunes reversed, losing their jobs, and now they're paying off their parents' homes, stuff like that. But it's not necessarily a bunch of people banding together to stick it to the man. It's just a bunch of people. And sometimes there's a net good that comes from that. I will say that Wall Street Bets is a toxic place. They're not perfect heroes. At the same time, they are like taking down hedge funds that suck. Like they're taking down these people who have screwed over the average American for a long, long, long time. And I think that that is laudable. So is that kind of where the story is going to end then? Is that how we'll all see this in the future? Kind of. But there's, you know, how we parse the story and like some folks are going to, you know, buy into the sort of like heroic credit versus evil Wall Street narrative, which is also kind of false on its face because it's Redditors with money to invest, you know? Right, yeah. Um, But, you know, there are also some people who are, you know, are going to, you know, look a little harder at it and and come away with a more complicated understanding. Uh, But in some ways, it also doesn't matter because the lessons that, you know, we learn from this are not necessarily the ones that the institutions do, right? The big money folks who got screwed are just not going to want to get screwed the same way again. Some people are going to get rich. The SEC is probably going to get mad. I don't know if there's going to be like massive regulation or if there's going to be a crackdown here, but uh, it's it's going to be an important moment nonetheless. I asked Jason what he thinks people involved will learn from this. I think one, the short sellers involved here are not going to make this same mistake again for a while, I don't think. Um, the specifics of GameStop, where it was so oversold to short sellers who were betting on the price to go down to the point where they had bet, you know, more, they had shorted more stocks than actually existed. I don't think that that mistake is going to be made again because they have been made to pay. Um, people are trying to do it with other stocks like AMC and BlackBerry and Best Buy and Nokia. I think that GameStop is a once in a maybe not lifetime opportunity or situation, but the specifics of how, of its stock and how it was shorted and all the mechanics of how this worked are different than AMC and these other ones that are being talked about. It's not necessarily, I mean, it's possible that people are going to make some money on AMC and BlackBerry and all these other companies, but the fact that you had GameStop go from $4 to $300 to $400, like you're not going to see that crazy amount of explosion in the same way, I don't think. So what does this mean for GameStop, though? So Matthew is a former GameStop employee, actually, like myself. What's up? Uh, We all worked (laughs) in games retail. (laughs) Uh, Right? Yep, it sucks. (laughs) And uh, this is what he thinks. This might destroy them because despite their stock evaluation being so, so inflated, like, Nobody likes going to GameStop. 
Uh, it's closed hundreds of stores. It's attempting to do this pivot right now where they are talking about turning their spaces into like gamer-friendly spaces where you can come and play D&D and Magic the Gathering um, and maybe bring your laptop. Um, and they've built a couple of these concept stores out in Oklahoma. But um, A, who's going to do that right now in the middle of a pandemic? But... The biggest reason I, I think GameStop is eventually screwed is that the game companies, Microsoft, Sony, Nintendo, would rather GameStop not exist. You know what? A gamer-friendly space sounds like the kind of place I wouldn't want to be. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like it might be dangerous for me. Um yeah, I, I get that. Like, there's part of me that's like, no, if we need video game retail to continue existing. Like, we can't just allow Nintendo and Microsoft and Sony to do their whole like direct to consumer, you know, we charge as much as we want, like digital download thing. You know, I want people to be able to trade games and buy pre owned, you know, if they don't have enough money to buy like a $60 game or $80 or whatever. But yeah, I get that these stores just aren't what they used to be. And I don't know how you would save them. Right. Yeah. And and they sort of like, you know, like your former employer and all the other smaller chains here in America that GameStop eventually sort of gobbled up. There's just no good alternative. So it's, you know, there could have been more options, but now this is the only one. And we don't know what is going to happen to it because of, uh, you know, it's at the center of this weird stock hurricane. And Jason thinks this story could have a lasting effect in the stock market and maybe history itself down the line. This is a big moment. It, it actually is. It's not just uh, journalists saying like, hey, this is crazy and it being like a media feeding frenzy. It's like this is actually a big moment in the history of the stock market in five years or 10 years. We're going to be teaching this in our class and explaining the mechanics of how it happened, which is these gigantic hedge funds placed a bet on GameStop to fail. And then a whole bunch of subredditors or a whole bunch of redditors and random people driven by the news cycle, as well as virality, online virality, were able to stand up to them and make them pay and, and cost them a lot of money. All right. So, <laughs> Jordan, do you feel like you have a solid understanding of this? Actually, yeah. No, I think I I think I get it. Weird. Like I wasn't expecting to. Honestly, I came into this like, oh no, this is going to be a difficult conversation for me with a lot of words that I don't understand. Um, but I think, yeah, I think I've learned the concept of shorting. I know what that is. Not into it. Um, <laughs> and yeah, I get I get kind of the the narrative of what has happened here so far. I mean, like you know, it could have all changed by the time people hear this because that's the nature of podcasts and these things moving very quickly. But uh, yeah, I think I get it. That's a relief to me. I feel um, I feel quite accomplished. <laughs> <laughs> you are accomplished. <laughs> you know, um, I didn't win any money off a of GameStop stock, but you know, the the pride from this podcast is uh, is is better. But yeah, one thing this story has me thinking about a lot is how tech is impacting our lives faster than we can explain it to everyone, right? Like. We we just spent, you know, all this time here walking through all of this. You know, not everyone is going to take the 30 minutes or so to listen to a podcast or read a bunch of articles to, to grasp the situation. And they shouldn't have to, you know, like it's that's a lot of work to do. 
No, but people should listen to our podcast, though. I mean, yeah, you, you're out, you have to listen to our podcast. <laughs> but the problem is that the people that should have to keep on top of it, and I don't know if this is a problem you have in the UK, but like lawmakers should be on top of this. But we have lawmakers who, you know, they're either too old or too indifferent. They barely know the first thing about the technology that they have to regulate, or nor do they care enough about how the markets work for regular people. Yeah, I mean, that's a familiar story across here in the UK as well as over there. Like the people making the laws, they don't know enough about tech to understand how people are using it. And part of that is because, you know, most lawmakers are a certain kind of age background, etc. But also part of it is that technology moves really quickly. And this is a unique moment in history where things are changing and happening much faster than they previously could. And it's difficult to keep up. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the apparatus of, of government is very slow. It takes a long time for, for decisions to happen. And in that time, the decision could be obsolete. It is very hard to learn about this stuff. You shouldn't have to sometimes, but sometimes you do. And that's why you should listen to our podcast. <laughs> I mean, we're kind of preaching to the choir here. Uh, by virtue of the fact that this is the podcast and everyone who's hearing this is already listening to it. But I guess thank you, listeners, uh, who've made it through this explanation of the stock market along with me. Uh, we appreciate you. Yes, deeply. And, uh, you know, don't take investing advice from reddit.com. <laughs> Gonna continue to invest all my money in turnips. Wild Wild Tech is a Studio 71 original podcast and a spoke media production. It's hosted by me, Joshua Rivera, and Jordan Erica Weber. You can find us at, at jmrivera02 on Twitter and jordanweber.com. Our producers are Jerez Mendoza, Cody Hoffmachel, and Janielle Kastner, with help from Trey Jones and Clay Kim. This episode was mixed by Will Short. Our executive producers are Stephen Perlstein and Andrew Seeley for Studio 71, and Aliyah Tavakolian and Keith Reynolds for Spoke Media. Special thanks to Matthew Galt. Check out his podcast, Angry Planet, wherever you get your podcasts, and Jason Kepler, both from Vice. If you want to follow us on social media, we're at Wild Wild Tech Pod. Thanks for listening. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you should, if you want to respond to that, go for it just so we have it, I guess. I mean, we've got the dun dun dun. What more do we need? Buy low, sell high. <laughs>